0: Hello everybody and you're very welcome to this week's episode of Social Talent's The Shortlist. Today we are talking about employee retention tactics to reduce quote talent waste. Um, As we know the world of hybrid and remote work and interviews has revealed pretty major flaws in the standard employee retention handbook because most organizations they fall into either the trap of treating the symptoms of high levels of churn and being reactive rather than focusing on fixing the root cause of turnover. And then that causes a dangerous cycle of investing time and resources in hiring, onboarding, training, only for that employee to leave again after the first year. I want to know, are you stuck inside that cycle? Joining us on the shortlist this week is none other than Lee McQueen, who calls this cycle of talent waste. Lee is an entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Phoenix 51. He's also a previous winner of BBC's The Apprentice, and he's the host of the Talent Waste show. So uh, joining me on on this podcast in the next couple of seconds, together we're going to discuss what talent waste is how to mitigate this with proactive retention strategies and how aligning candidates with the culture and the values of a company can make the biggest difference in hiring and retention. So Lee, you are very, very welcome. Thank you for joining me.
1: Hello Holly, thanks for having me. And thank you to all the viewers and listeners as well. Appreciate you uh, you having me on today.
0: Lee, can you give the folks listening or slash watching here, those who are watching live, um, a quick background as to who you are? I'm sure I butchered most of your CV here, <laughs> or skirted past some key moments.
1: Not at all. Let's not worry about the CV; that's irrelevant. But uh, yeah, so for me, I've got oh, show my age now, 22, 21, 22 years of recruitment experience. So I've been in the recruitment industry for that long period of time. Um, I work for one of the the big business process outsourcing companies, uh, Capita. For about eight years, I ended up being the managing director of the IT recruitment division. Turned over 32 million pound at the time uh, when I was when I was operating there. Um, and one day, the some one of my team put an application form across my desk. I looked at it and thought, "What's this?" And it was a application form for the apprentice. And I thought, "Why not?" So I filled out the application form. Uh, a few phone calls and a few interviews later, I ended up beating 20,000 candidates to get onto the show. Um, at the time, and uh, 12 weeks later, I ended up winning it. So uh, yeah, I won The Apprentice back in 2008, uh, which was an amazing experience. I uh, worked for Lord Sugar and his son Simon for two and a half years. We built a digital media business called AmScreen uh, from, from the ground up, which was uh, an amazing experience for me. Um, but one of my key drivers was to start my own company, Holly. I always wanted to to run my own business, and although I'm a bit of a late comer to, to, to being that entrepreneurial spirit, if you like. Um, Eleven years ago, I, I left and I set up. Um, I set up Raw Talent. Uh, Raw Talent was my, my my second business that I set up. It was a recruitment business focused specifically on early careers. Um, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring a bit more diversity into the into the sales aspect. So the, the the major players at the time were graduate focused recruitment businesses. So anybody that was looking for early talent was grad, 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 grad. So I said no. Let's let's open the talent pool and look for grads and non grads, and let's hire based on behaviours and competencies and rip up the CV. Um, and that journey's been the fantastic one and it, and it really lent us to, two years ago during the global pandemic, stupidly or brilliantly, we decided <coughs> to set up Phoenix 51, which is a technology platform that digitalises and virtualises people assessment. Um, and that came out of the the work that we've done globally with my recruitment business. So that's, that's where we are today. So um, yeah, it's been, Quite a, quite a whirlwind journey, to be fair, Holly.
0: It sounds like it, actually. I think um, starting a, a business with, with Lord Sugar can be, shall we say, intimidating. Do you mind me asking, is it really 12 weeks? Like it literally is week on week, or is it like more like five weeks?
1: It's seven, actually, or six, to be completely exact, it was six six weeks and four days. Um, so the, the process is actually quite condensed, which if you think about it, makes it even harder. Um, one of the hardest things I've done in my career is go on the Apprentice and win the Apprentice. There's, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Um, you know the the Apprentice alumni or the winners of the Apprentice will probably come on and, and say the same thing um, if you if you if you had them onto onto the shortlist, for example, because you, you're giving up everything. You're giving up your job. You're giving up a career. You're going into the unknown, and then you are under pressure from the minute you walk through the house, if you like, for the minute you walk into into the into the boardroom. Um, and that that was tough. It was it was a tough scenario. But I've always been the sort of person that kind of wants to challenge myself. I'm, i I work hard, so that's one of my core core kind of inner beliefs is you have to work hard. So I had a, a strong work ethic, but I didn't know if I was good enough to 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 beat other people to pit my wits against other people. So that's why that's why I've done it. I, I wanted to go and learn from the best, you know, Sir mm-hmm. Alan uh, or Lord Sugar as he's now known, of course, is is probably arguably one of the best entrepreneurs the UK scene for, for, for certainly over the last 50 years. So, you know, why not go and learn from the, the man that's been there and done it? And that's, that was my journey really.
0: Yeah. And did you feel that it was an effective way of assessing your, and everybody else, all the other participants' skills and abilities in order to get that job?
1: That 100%. That kind of... Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that if you think about what my idea for raw Talent a couple of years after I won, when I set my own business up was to, to not not reinvent observational assessment because that's been around for years, but actually the gold standard of assessment is to do a competency based interview, to do a role play, to do a presentation, to do some sort of group activity or group task. And actually if you think about the apprentice, that's what it is. It's watching that's what it and is. observing. Every single week, has these individuals got the right behaviours and competencies that I want in my organisation in, in Lord Trigger's case. And and I took that idea and said, Well hang on why can't we give that to to the uh, to our clients? So can't, can't we build a service that we would start to drive sales academies for organizations that we're looking and watching and seeing? Has Holly got the right behaviors? Has Lee got the right behaviors? Has John got the right behaviors? And if, if we see them, if we can test them, then we hire them and, and it gives us that better retention rate. And that's what we found over the last 11 years. We've got some amazing data points that we now have obviously in our, in our platform around what works well what doesn't work well in certain sectors and certain industries
0: so um that's fascinating actually it's really it's lovely that um that's such an experience such a pivotal moment in your early career shall we say because i know you're 22 years in recruitment there at the stage which is still a young man um but uh you know that, that very pivotal moment having such a um a monumental impact on your on your entrepreneurial journey and then on the you know the potential um, assessment and, and opportunities that, that now talent more broadly is able to get. So that's, that's amazing. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. And I think, I think, with that as well, is that so I, I didn't go to university. So my background mm-hmm. is you know, I grew up in a council house. Um, my dad's a milkman 42 years. Mum's a receptionist. Wow. N- nothing, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But the no, reason why wow. it's relevant is because they're, they're workers, right? They're grafters. So that's where I get the work ethic from. But but I didn't have I I didn't create the opportunities during my education to be able to go on to do A levels and to do universities. Totally on me. Mm-hmm. It's no one's fault. But didn't have a bad thing. It was just I was the class jester at school. I didn't I didn't get on with school. And there'd be people out there watching or parents that are watching with their children and so on and so forth that have the similar situation. And back mm-hmm. then apprenticeships, for example. Weren't as sexy as they are today. I mean, apprenticeship now you can do most things. It's brilliant. You can do apprenticeship in in dev. You can do apprenticeship in marketing. Do back then you couldn't. It was more, you know, it was more kind of, um, you know, carpentry or, or uh, you know, uh, or trade, electrician, trade, that sort of stuff. Um, mm. Which again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that wasn't. I wasn't interested in that type of thing. So. You know, for me, at that point, if if you didn't go to university, you'd already failed. So I was walking out of school, going, "Oh, Okay, so I, I'm on the back foot already," and and I just think that you know, if you fast forward like twenty years, that's now completely changed, and now there's people, there is different alternatives to university. Not that university is bad. I'm not saying that at all either. Don't 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 get me wrong, but. It's, it's opening up opportunities for people that learn differently or are different in uh, in other ways that, that still can showcase their behaviours or their competence to do mm. a role for your organisation and that's what Phoenix, for example, is all about.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's... Um probably one of the most pivotal shifts in British policy because it's it's not universal across other other countries, um, particularly across Europe. There's only some small pockets within Europe, um, especially within the United States, where it's it's basically university or nothing um for professional careers, but being able to like incentivizing apprentices, apprenticeship programs for professional type of careers. Like you say, you can do an apprenticeship in marketing, you can do an apprenticeship in accountancy um, rather than having to go to, to college and do a four year degree and then go on to do graduate studies in order to get those things like it's really it, the avenues to get to professional careers now have broadened so much. Um, so talk to me about talent waste in particular, because I think this is really interesting. Definitely the as you keep as you referred to ripping up that CV, um, the, the traditional avenues like going in from university are, you know, are no longer the only way there. So to, what is talent waste? Why are you so passionate about this?
1: Well, i think talent waste is a is another pandemic if i'm honest but people just don't realize it is there um talent waste exists in businesses globally um the 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 premise really of talent waste is that if you're hiring some uh, a bunch of people one person or five thousand people doesn't really matter the number if you're hiring people but you, you fail to retain them, you're wasting talent. You've done all that hard work on, I've identified Holly, we've interviewed Holly, we've put Holly for an assessment, we've onboarded Holly, we've given all, all of the things and brought you into us and you've had a fantastic experience and all of that. And then seven months later, Holly leaves. That's really expensive, it's, it's expensive for Holly, it's expensive in terms of didn't work out, you've got to go and do your job search again. It's expensive for your team internally because they're like, okay, there's another one's gone, there's another one's come, there's another one's gone. So it doesn't really breed the right uh, values or culture. And it's definitely expensive from a a monetary perspective for the business that's hiring because it, it costs between... 12 and 30,000 pounds for every bad hire, so CIPD will, will state it's around 12 to 30,000 pounds per, per bad hire, and Harvard Business Review states that there's 80% of, um, of of the issues that we face in our businesses are around bad hires, right? So you, you, when you look at them two, them two stats together, you're thinking, wow, there's some big numbers here when you when you put it in into a number let's just quantify that a little bit so say for example let's take the minimum value there 12,000 pounds to hire so I'm not talking about recruitment agency fees I'm talking about time resource onboarding you know technology staff training all all of that that entire process so that's 12,000 if you're hiring a hundred people this year and you're only going to retain 50% Fifty percent of them, or sixty percent of them, that is a huge amount of money 360 grand, for example, that is literally walking off your bottom line if you can't retain them people. So, so this businesses that we've been involved in some of our clients before, uh, before before they were clients, of course, people that we speak to uh, during the podcast as well that that are sitting in board meetings saying, "How can we generate more revenue? How can we?" Um, get more on a bottom line for our shareholders yet they are wasting talent every year 100 hires only retaining 60 of them in year one 40% of them are leaving £460,000 of cost that they don't see because it's not a, it's not a cost that's visible does that make sense Holly? So there's Damn. there's so much that, that comes around with that talent waste piece and if, if we could fix it if we could say let's improve our retention rates from 60% to 70% to 70% to 80% not only does that have an effect on our on our on our monetary, like the the crude way of looking at it, we've saved money, but mm-hmm. but but the other thing that it's doing is, is 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 creating pathways for individuals within the business. So therefore, Holly doesn't leave. So therefore, Lee's happier as Holly's teammate, and now we can start to see a team bonding and a and a, um, a and a culture growing within our organisation. And that, for me, is the key point.
0: Oh, definitely. I think there's. I probably have a hundred questions now for you off the back of that. But certainly, there's. Um, yeah, there's. There's there's so many more positive wins to retention than just simply, as you say, the saving of having to do recruitment costs all over again. But also, like your. I mean, if especially in in one of the organizations that you founded with regards to raw talent for um for sales organizations, when your account manager is constantly changing because they're churning out. Your customer is less likely to actually stay with you as an as a, as a client. So, Great look, point. yeah, exactly, right. All of your all of your retention, both from your customers and your employees, is really important. Do you think though that retention, particularly after that kind of you know the first six month honeymoon period of your new job, or even the, maybe you know the first two years of your new job, like we kind of think like two years? Oh yeah, that's a tour duty. That's okay. You know, we were allowed allowed to go off and leave. Well, they certainly are allowed to go off and leave. We, we do want them to stay, but what are the things that are leading to retention problems? Is it that assessment piece? Is it the interview failed? Is it the onboarding thing that failed? Um, did we not do white right by them at some point during the transition to career mobility? Like what what's what's the factors for, for churn?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant question. I think that there's, you know, if we dissect it a little bit, it's probably, all of the above or aspects of all of the above so mm. you know I, I i i've got a philosophy that, that when a disaster happens or something happens that you don't want it's not just one thing that causes it is an amalgamation of a few things and it might only be that that one percent of the problem is um you know is the interview process but 10 percent of the problem is the assessment process it, it, so it's an amalgamation of all them things so if we break that down where it really starts for us, or for, for me, is your core values. So, so as a business, if you've, got, if you've got, say, four core values, and you're hiring against them core values, regardless of the job role, regardless of the people that you're bringing into your organisation, they should all share the same core values, because then you're giving yourself the best possible chance for people to stay culturally in your business most people when you do an exit interview with uh, with with people most people don't say i'm leaving because i don't get paid enough that most people don't say that I, I am they do leave because of their reasons but most people don't most people leave because of their leader or because of their boss or because of ultimately their team around them and what we're talking about here you can talk about it saying it's a bit it's a bit woolly it's a bit fluffy you can talk about that but it's the culture we're talking about the culture of the business and so These are our core values, and you might stick them up on the wall, and they're great, but do we live and breathe by our core values? Because if we do, that means that we're hiring people into the business. I'll give you an example. So when we started to build out raw talent, raw talent's core cultural value, or core why, if you like, was that we don't hire based on CV, it's wrong. We hire based on behaviors and competencies. And that that was our our metaphor and uh, and, uh, our mantra, and ultimately we've taken that into the Phoenix 51 business. But why that's relevant is, if somebody who is absolutely brilliant, really, really good, great standard on LinkedIn, great standard in the the industry, come for an interview at War Talent, but they firmly believed that we should be hiring on a CV, we wouldn't hire them, because they go completely against our core value. Now, so your face is quite quite surprised there in a sense, but that's the bit that, that people oh it won't make it won't make much difference. We can change Holly. You can't if it's a core belief. Holly won't change or Lee won't change, and that's why it starts at your core values. So once you've got your core values set, you can you can get a real strong set of competencies out of what them core values are. So so in other words. Um, you know if one of your core values is um, is team and t- uh, to, to, to to be team centric then communication might be one of your core competencies that, that goes with that value and therefore one of your core competencies running through all of your hires regardless of your business should be communication and then of course f- from that competency you've then got a set of behaviors so how do we then measure whether or not Lee or Holly's got is good in communication and that's where the interviewing, the assessment comes in where you're really starting to test and show and see and observe, have we got them core behaviors that essentially roll up to competency, that essentially roll up to values. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's that's the bit that really starts. And then once you've found that, and a lot of people, Holly, organizations, sorry, I should say, they're, scared probably seems too long, a bigger word, but they're, they're a bit apprehensive because it means that you're screening people in and not screening people out. And most organisations from a recruitment perspective screen people out. Right, let's have a look at their CV. Have they got a degree? No, let's screen them out. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's have a look at their CV. Have they got five years experience? No, let's screen them out. But what we're doing is saying, okay, let's not worry about your degree or let's not worry about your, your experience per se. Let's worry about, has Holly got the core competencies that fit into our values? Yes, she has. Right now let's have a conversation about has she got the skill set, do you see what I mean? So there's a fundamental difference between screening in and screening out. And for some businesses, that is impossible. For some businesses that doesn't work. When you're hiring for tens of thousands of people that maybe over the Christmas period in retail you just need people to come in and um, you know temp for that, that Christmas period and, and you know and, and for that demand maybe you don't need to go into this detail, but from a permanent perspective, when you're looking to grow people within your company over a long period of time, that's when this, this method works really, really well.
0: Yeah, I would argue to say even though, even for temp um, positions, like for a 13 week uh, Christmas peak period, for example, or over the summer period, if you're doing summer um, summer jobs or any of those kinds of things, like. Those those individuals will still have an impact on the customers, especially if they're customer facing, right? So your values have That's to be true. have to be lived through, right? They're definitely not something that let's let's lower our bar in order to get people in the door, but ultimately, um, uh, making sure that we're still aligned the whole way. I think yeah. you know th- that piece around employee um, and, and company culture. There's um, there is a propensity, I think, for organizations obviously to to match. Past behaviors, as in past experience, and like tell me about a time you did X, Y, Z, um, versus learning agility and the kind of that kind of core competency of learning agility and being able to demonstrate potential. How do you, um, how 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 does any organization, particularly something like Phoenix Fifty One, which is you know trying to digitize this this service for uh, for organizations to do this at scale, really look at? Um, The potential of an employee where they may not have had the best training they may not have been terribly well prepared they may not have had access to you know this this particular skill building or even even the mindset to understand that the cv is no longer relevant And, you know, they just have never been exposed to an argument as to what what could be the alternative. Right. How do you educate somebody on or how do you decipher the potential of an employee at an early talent or even kind of mid-experience kind of level as well in order to see whether or not they're going to be right for our culture?
1: Yeah, I, t- I mean, again, even, even that mid side, even that, you know, even that senior side of things as well, you know, um, it, 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 is, it, it is relevant across them them, them key, key areas. It's interesting, actually, because my, my business partner, my co-founder of Fink51 is Chris Winters. He's a business psychologist, um, and that's that's important because he brings the, the science wrapped behind how we do certain things and how we score. The, you know, the gold standard of, uh, or the platinum, if you like, you know, the, the top step. Of of mm. that uh, assessment piece is um, around competency based interviewing. So competency based questions we haven't reinvented them. They've been around for for a long long time. But actually scoring them against them key competencies and values, and then having a data set to be able to say, actually this is this is Holly and this is what Holly scored against them key uh, competency behaviours. This is Lee and this is what Lee scored. Now, a lot of businesses, Holly. Um, you might be surprised at this or not. I don't know the, the watching and uh, audience and the listeners. But so many people still use a pen and paper. They still write things down. They still interview. Even on Teams today, there'll be people around the world that have gone onto Teams. Hi, Holly. How are you getting on? Let's do a forty minute interview. Throw some questions at each other. Write some stuff down. Yeah, I think that's quite good. Yeah, that that's and I'm not being derogatory I'm just saying that that is what some people are doing so to put a structure around that and digitalize that structure we don't use AI we're not asking the computer to say yes or the computer to say no this is still human interaction but it's human interaction for an automated platform that enables you to to see data analysis on strengths and weaknesses where they need to um, where they could improve on certain areas which gives you (laughs) The toolkit for want of their expression to be able, to be able to develop that individual, like you mentioned before, Holly. If you've got a mid, I don't know, mid person coming in, somebody's got a few years experience, and you know they're they're, um, they're in their kind of I don't know third or fourth role, uh, it might be they still need to be able to develop. they still need to be able to learn. So, how mm-hmm. are we deciding where their areas of development are? Using a tool such as ours, but you know there's other tools out there, of course, but using a tool such as ours enables you to have a better data-driven decision. But ultimately, it's still your decision as a human. You still make the decision in the end to say, do you know what? I can see Holly's data set and I can see that she's scoring brilliantly here, here and here. You know, in a commercial awareness is maybe a little bit low, but that's okay. I know that. Now I'm going to train developer, but I'm still going to hire Holly into the organization. Just think about what, what that breeds as a culture. All of a sudden now you're, you've are you created a, a career pathway for, for Holly. Holly now knows that the learning development before she's in gets into post is... Um, is that commercial aspect, so you'll probably come on, when you do come on board and start your onboarding period with us as a new organisation, you've probably done a load of work in the back end to work on your commerciality. So there's so many positives that comes with that and what we found over time, especially in the early careers piece as well, is over time, people want knowledge. That's what retains people in the organisation. They, 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 it's not necessarily just a monetary piece, even in sales you know 20 years ago if you said to a sales person what's the most important thing to you they'd say money uh, and everyone would like, yeah it's all about the money it's not about that anymore it's about development it's about how do i get better how do i learn i want to be around good people and if mm-hmm. you if, if you integrate me into a team and half the team in six months leaves what do you think i'm going to do and and that's the bit that's it, it's the byproduct of the I don't want to say bums on seed, but it's a byproduct of hiring that individual into the business and then mm-hmm. losing them so quickly because of them key things that we've talked about aren't happening.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I would argue that some there are a lot of salespeople out there who definitely want the money and who are hired <laughs> because they want the money.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> if, you, if
0: you want it, you will go after it, you know. Um, but on that on that bit around um, the, the data piece, right, because that's definitely an area where we see an awful lot of... of um in our sort of unconscious bias slash very conscious bias um you know when you when you make a pros and cons list about anything like a decision on on who you're going to you know you've, you're deciding between whether or not to go out with this person more long term you know after a couple of dates or whatever else and you're making that pros and cons list ultimately if after writing out all your pros and cons the cons start outweighing the pros but ultimately your, your heart your gut feel is like oh, but I do actually really like this person. You'll start kind of think, actually that con isn't really that important. And this one isn't really, you'll start, you will actively start justifying your decision. So how do you prevent that when the data is fairly obvious and fairly clear and pointing you towards, we think this person will be a good uh, good employee for the business based on their assessment. We think this person probably wouldn't be a good employee for the business based on their assessment, but ultimately that system one kind of gut feel, you know, would, they they had a great interview. They made me laugh. You know, we had we got on great. Like those those are really powerful emotions that people feel, and they can they they, they can and do override the system. How do you prevent that, or is it possible even to prevent it?
1: It's a really good question, Ollie. I think that I think gut feel is important in 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 the world, like as in, mm. uh, for people in in the world of business as well. I, I do think it's important. I think that we we've come a long way, probably in the last five years, maybe ten years around that cancel culture and canceling certain things out and making sure that everything has to be and actually the old way never worked at all and that old way was gut feel. I, I'm somewhere in between. I think that science should be there to help make the decisions, but ultimately that's why the computer is not saying yes or no because it is ultimately the, the human decision. All we can do as a platform is, is show is, is show you, hold the mirror up with I suppose, and show to you these are the key areas that are needed for development. These are the reds. These are the ambers. These are the f- red flags. If you still want to hire that person, Holly, because your gut is saying actually I think you know I think Lee's going to be good. I probably wouldn't be, by the way. But uh, <laughs> if, if, you know, if, if that's the case, then then that's up to you. But but don't be foolish. Don't be foolish to not use the data to train and develop in the areas that, 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 that the platform is showcasing you or the process is showcasing you. So so in other words. You're, you're looking for an 80, 80% or 85% um, uh, percentile sorry, of, uh, of, of entire scores. If you've got eight or nine different key competencies, and you want to see 80% of that individual hitting 80% of them, that, that's deemed good enough or that's what good looks like in your business and therefore you're hiring that individual. They're still not a hundred percent, right? Because no one's perfect. So you could assess to the cows come home, and you'll never get somebody that's going to score a hundred percent every single time, and that's right because there's no one that's perfect. There's always room for that learning. So to, to, to eradicate some of that kind of that gut feel versus that data piece, or to bring them two together, set benchmarks of like we know in our business that. This percentile is what good looks like. we know that because we 've got data on on hiring these people in the past, or these people with these behaviors in the past typically do this, so then we can start to assess the potential of them hires coming in and that 's how you would would start to kind of eradicate that i mean the the, the ability to be able, for you and I to be um, interviewing at the same time say you 're my boss and you and I are interviewing i don 't know Andrew. Um, and I'm looking over, what what are you saying, Holly? I'm being influenced by you, or you might make a comment and I'm being influenced by you because you're my boss. I'm thinking, all right, I better score higher. That needs to be gated. That needs to be stopped. It needs to be me scoring that individual, assessing or interviewing that individual, yes, at the same time as you, but in a gated process. And that's again, that's quite important because that unconscious bias starts to creep in in them aspects as well to actually say, all oh, right, by, by running a data, data-driven data decision, we can start to see if there's any trends in the data. Lee always hires the same sort of people, or Holly always hires the same sort of people. Is there a pattern there? Is there a trend there? It's quite mm-hmm. powerful stuff from an overall business point of view um, as well. So that's kind of some of the key things that will, you know, a data-driven approach would, would start to eliminate.
0: Yeah, definitely showcases accountability, right? So, if, for example, you always agree with the hiring decisions that I make, you know, that's a very, that's a big red flag from that HR may be able to point out and go, "Look, we believe you're actually, um, you are leading the witness, so to speak, um, and it's it's <laughs> yeah. you're, you're 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 not doing a great job in terms of being objective."
1: <laughs> um, yeah, exactly that. That's exactly that. Exactly that sort of thing. So.
0: Yeah. Um, talk to me about internal mobility because we've obviously spoken about the the filling of the bucket, and and now we want to stop that bucket from from leaking at the bottom. Um, but one of the big reasons that employees leave, aside from poor onboarding experience and poor value match, is you know they're they're in the business two years, they 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 do align with the organization's values clearly because we've assessed them well and they've done well, but now it's time for the next step and it's not going to be here for a range of reasons um and those reasons are usually down the lines of um there are no opportunities that i can see they're not obvious to me i don't know how to apply to an internal position um they're never advertised i never see them until until i look on you know indeed or um or other job portals they're not advertised internally for example what my boss might prevent me from going right they're hoarding me um they're saying oh, you are too good for our team what if if you leave my team we won't be able to do anything we want and that's that's then gone right um or um they are being passed over for promotion because of um not from merit shall we say you know the, merit is not how people get their job they get their next job through um through their network and having others advocate for their merit, which may or may not be true. So how can this, or can this system be used, um, these similar tools and everything else be used for an internal mobility perspective rather than just the acquisition of people into the business?
1: Yeah, again, thank you for brilliant question. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. of, of course. And I think one, what alps what, what Specifics uh, platform doesn't do is it doesn't flag up to a hiring manager in the US that there's a there's an individual called in Ireland that's perfect for that job. It, it doesn't do that, but what it does do is an opportunity for the management community an opportunity to assess their current staff, and that's really important because. Yes, I'm in a. Uh, so you, you're a candidate, and we've assessed you. and Now we've have you've, you've come into the business, but how do we then develop your career path during the during your um, your employment with our business? I'll give you a couple of examples. One of our clients is actually using. It is in a sales environment, actually, but one of our clients is using our platform to assess sales individuals in real time. So they're going out on sales meetings or live sales calls, and they're they're assessing their. Their key behaviors and competencies against what that job uh, uh, needs to do and provide feedback in real time. And one of our other businesses actually took a broader view, uh, one of our other clients, sorry, a broader view. um, They had 150 managers that were in their business that were all at different levels. So they were probably mid, mid managers, maybe 70 to 100K kind of, um, that sort of that sort of area. Um, and what we did is we, we used the platform to actually drive um, some uh, some assessment around where they're actually at within their career, what would they need to do in order to get up to the next level, which was account director, I think at, at the time, um, and mm-hmm. how away they were from that. And what that essentially meant, when Holly had been there for six months, when Holly got promoted, Lee wasn't worried because I knew where I needed to get in that promotion and these are the key reasons why. Similarly, if you reverse that, the trouble with not knowing what that benchmark is, is that Holly's the better individual. Lee gets promoted because he's been there longer than Holly. Holly then says, well, there's no point in me staying here, well, I might as well leave. Lee's now in the wrong job, so he ends up leaving after six, seven months. And then Holly's team can see all this happening and said, Well, actually, is this, if this is the way the company works, then I'm going to leave. So, all of a sudden, just by making that, again, that wrong decision, whether it's a hiring decision or a promotional decision, we've created a massive issue in the business. And that's where organisations, um, and not all organisations, of course, but a lot of organisations are not seeing that problem.
0: I can see that as being a hugely valuable piece of insight though whether it's in me as a learning professional or me as an individual right because trying to be able to validate the training initiatives that we deliver to our employees for example so like obviously in every single organization there are training initiatives whether they are formal or informal right whether it's like you're sitting beside me and we're learning through like some tacit information sharing uh we're you know we're on the both on the same sales meetings and therefore you're kind of learning from me for example or Um, I'm going through a formal training course um, whether that's on something like social talent or if it's something um, you know where you're actually going off to a college or something on those lines those kind of formal interventions there's very very little um, there's very few evidence-based kind of like on the job sort of validations of how that um How that intervention is has actually proven out. How has come out in the wash? Because of course, every individual Mm -hmm. will take that training and do their own thing with it. They're going to, um, they're going to. Put their own spin on things it starts to spin off a whole load of other innovations in their own mind for some individuals of course particularly the more the more creative ones or or certainly the most experienced um whereas others are just going to take it root and branch go yep that's great i'm going to do the things that precisely what i was taught in my training course and do nothing else and so from learning from just from a validation of of training that sounds amazing but then it's like it's the data for my own performance right so like I have a smartwatch and I've used a smartwatch for years and I rely on that to tell me how many steps I've done today the fact that I haven't stood up in the last 37 minutes um and I need to stand up now for for a minute at some point during this hour all of those data points which says (laughs) if you do these things you will be healthier but Without that, without somebody monitoring that performance at a reasonably unintrusive level, right? I don't know where to make good choices or good alternative choices to what my instinct would tell me.
1: Com- completely, and and again, it goes back to my my crazy point right at the beginning, which is I find it completely crazy why people are still using a piece of paper and a pen to make handwritten notes and make judgments on the most important asset that you're in your business today, which is your people. Um, you know, we have all these devices, I have the same. Apple, Whoop, anybody got a, a, a Whoop strap that t- talks about your health and uh, it makes all these all these things that we have in our, in our lives. Most of the clients that we're working with, most of the people that are watching listen, they have data points all over their lives, on their phone, they have key data points, stand up, sit down, too loud, too quiet, all these things. Yet when we go into hiring process, oh no, you're not good enough really what based (laughs) on a two-page cv because you've got a couple of paragraphs doesn't make sense does it holly to to be honest it doesn't make sense
0: oh goodness i think we have lost lee unfortunately i really hope that lee is able to rejoin us we were losing him based on i think it was internet connection i'm so sorry everyone hopefully we'll be able to get lee back if we don't before in the next two minutes because we thankfully are also towards the end of our show let me tell you about details for our episode next week so next week wednesday the 23rd of november which would be um 4 p.m irish time um, or 11am New York time, that is uh, GMT versus EST, we'll be joined by Dimitri Julius, who's the head of special projects. And he was previously the chief people officer at ICON. Um, and what Johnny Campbell will be talking to, uh, to Dimitri about will be how to identify a bad workplace culture before it's too late, which kind of stands on very, very nicely from what Leo is saying about, um, about us trying to prove and manage out or manage in uh, rather people based on their cultural alignment to our company values but ultimately uh, I think it'll all go from there ultimately the the screening in versus screening out piece is going to be key both for talent and for those employers as well Lee are you back I hope you can can you hear us hello hello Lee can you hear us Oh, Lee, i'm so sorry or the um the line is really 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 tough to hear i'm really sorry i i will have to um call time there as our, our well our time is up but secondly i'm really sorry we couldn't get lee's last piece of advice what i'll ask you to do is to uh, share that last piece of advice we'll put it either into the show notes if you're listening back on this in the podcast or um into the the chat in the live linkedin and youtube broadcast for this podcast as well thank you so much everybody for for joining us for this uh, really riveting conversation with Lee McQueen. I've learned a ton, by the way. Um, I hope you all have too. And we will see you next week for that talk with Dimitri Julius, um, talking about how to identify a bad workplace culture before it's too late. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.